I'm thankful for Jackson and leadership he brings to the worship and just kind of bringing us into the presence of God. Do an awesome job. You and your, your crew, your rowdy crew. Not so rowdy this morning, though, are you, Nick? No. So, Gabe, if he starts like riding the Sandman roller coaster, you know what that is? It's, it's, if he's like nodding too much, you know, in agreement, then uh, just give him an elbow. But hope you all are doing well, and um, I hope you're ready to hear from, from God this morning. And uh, we're, we're in our last part of our series, Christ. Um, we've been going through this for six weeks. Um, if you don't count December 18th. We missed December 18th. We had some ice that came through, and we missed that. It kind of put us off a little bit. But I'm excited when we come to a close of a series because, it, for me, it means we're getting ready to start another series and a new series and, and begin learning about some more things. But um, as we've been walking through Christ, the, the, the main focus of this series is what is called Christology. It is a theology of who Jesus is, and we've been focusing on how Scripture presents Him, um, getting an understanding of His characteristics, His names, His attributes, um, who He was on this planet, who the Bible presents Him as. And with that information, not just to come to a head knowledge of it, because there's a danger in only having head knowledge of Scripture, um, is that God wants to impact our hearts and how we live. And so not just to have an understanding knowledge-wise, but also to be impacted and respond to who Jesus is and how now we, as His people, as people who call themselves Christians, how we should be living in accordance to who Jesus is. Because now we are to be imitators of Christ. We are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. We pick up the mantle of, of preaching the gospel and the good news as Jesus did on this earth to the people that God puts in our lives. And so that's why we've been walking through this. As we come to our final uh, time together in this series, uh, we're going to be looking in John chapter 4 at one particular verse and really primarily on one particular thing that Jesus said. And, in, and you may be familiar with this passage of Scripture already. It's John chapter 14 and verse 6. And uh, some of you all may already have it memorized and didn't even know you had it memorized. But Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And we're going to really be focusing on the truth because... If we don't not only understand Jesus being the truth, but we don't have a conviction about Jesus being the truth, then Him being the way, we'll get that in a moment, and the life really is not going to make any sort of sense or any sort of impact in our life. Um, Jesus, throughout His ministry, said many straightforward comments. Um, it's what we would call blunt. Um, you all have blunt people in your life. Maybe you are the blunt person. Who would say you are a very blunt person? You call it as it is, right? You see it and you say it. And sometimes it's for the good and sometimes for the bad. Sometimes there's no filter on it. And you don't mean anything bad by it, do you, Tommy? You, you never, you know, you saw you raise your hands. I got to come, you're right front center. You don't mean anything bad by it. You just, you just see, see how it is. Okay, okay, yeah, all right. Sometimes, all right, well, confessional time. Sometimes you just, you're going to, yeah, all right, you're going to say how it is and it's just going to go wherever it goes. Um, well, blunt people um, are good and, and they can be bad. Would you all agree? For, if you're not a blunt person, maybe you're more of a passive individual, blunt people annoy uh, the tar out of you because you, they just seem like the most unloving, 
people. They're the hardest people to be around. They just say whatever they want. And it's things that you would never, ever say in your life, right? You just, and when they say what they say, your mouth just... You ever been in that situation? I can't believe you said that. Well, Jesus, to be honest with you, Jesus said some very straightforward, blunt things. And we sang about some of those, about taking up your cross and following me, um, dying to yourself, about giving your heart, giving all that you are to Jesus, um, by you being known by the way you love one another, whether you're truly my disciples. If you don't take up your cross and follow me, you cannot truly be my disciples. I mean, he says some pretty blunt, straightforward things. And one of those things is here in John chapter 14. People that heard Jesus say his blunt, straightforward things, they had issues with it in Jesus' day. And, and as we'll see today, people still have issues with some of the things that Jesus said. But I personally, I like blunt people. <clears throat> I don't consider, am I a blunt person? I don't consider myself, maybe I haven't come to that, that, that uh, awareness, but I like blunt people because one thing you find about blunt people is they're not going to beat around the bush. Okay, if you ask them a question, they're going to tell you the truth whether you want to hear. You know, so, you know, ladies, don't ask blunt people like how you look if, if you're worried that you don't look good. Because they will tell you straight out. Men, don't ask blunt people if you've gained weight because they will tell you straight out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the way blunt people work. In the last church I was at, man, there's this little old lady. And uh, you got to love old ladies, right? Little old lady, and she just pushed people away and, and just put them off. They just did not know how to respond to her because she was a very blunt, very straightforward individual. If you asked her something, she would tell you. And sometimes it would be in a rough and very sharp tone. And I, I loved her for it because I knew whatever I asked her, she was going to give me the truth, 100% of the truth. So if I asked, hey, was that a good sermon? And it wasn't. She'd be like, oh, no, no, that wasn't. Um, you need to go pray more about it. But I remember our first community service at that church was a Thanksgiving service, and, the, and we were hosting the Thanksgiving service. So like here, the pastor um, of the church that's hosting doesn't preach the, the service. He only does the welcome and tells people where to go to the potty and where to go find food when it's all said and done. And so that was my job. And so um, when I preach, I, I typically preach from this small one because as you've caught on by now, I move around quite a bit. And so um, I usually preach from this so I can hold it easier and move around and, and do that. But when I study, personally study the Bible, um, I, I use my study Bible. And, and it's, it's quite a bit bigger and thicker. And, and when I typically read on my own, um, not, not for sermon prep or anything like that, when I'm just reading the Bible on my own, I typically use that Bible as well. And, and it's thicker. And so when I came to that community service, um, they had pews. And so I sat down by little Miss Blunt's a lot. And, uh, and, and I sat by and I put my Bible between us and I smiled at her and she just, blunt people don't smile all the time. So she just kind of looked at me and like, yeah, you're there. Yeah, there you are. And so she looked at my Bible and then she looked at me and she goes, my, that's a mighty big Bible you have with you tonight, Pastor. And I said, yes. And I tapped it with a smile on my face. I was trying to be cheerful and loving, right? You know, you win them with love. And so I, I tapped it and I said, I, I came expecting to hear the word and get fed by the word. And she looked at me and she crossed her arms and she looked straight ahead. And she goes, well, the priest is preaching tonight, so good luck with that. 
no, I didn't know what to say to that, so I just did my best Forrest Gump, all right, and, 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 and I just stayed quiet until it was my time to say, you know, hello, glad you're here, and type of thing, but man, she was right. She was right, and that, that priest isn't there anymore in that town, but he, he did a whole message, whole community service. He invited every church in town and all the community to come out there. He did a whole message on some backwoods chicken coop. Never once did he mention a passage of Scripture. Never once did he tell about a story from the Bible. I know he mentioned God here and there, but there was, there was nothing about the Word of God. So she called it how it was. But see, when you meet with blunt people and they say whatever's on their mind, you're like me. You just, what, are you, what do you say to that? What's the comeback? You know, I mean, you're, you know, oh, okay. You know, I mean, how do you, how do you move with that? Jesus said some things as he encountered people in his life that really put them off. Um, and, and a lot of people who saw Jesus physically, heard his voice, looked him in the eyes, heard him laugh, heard him pray, and saw the miracles he did. Some of them were, were witnesses, eyewitnesses to the miracles. They took part in the miracles. When some of the things that Jesus said just straight out, blunt, straightforward, they left. Can you imagine that? physically with Jesus, and he says something that you just can't handle, and so you just, I don't need that. But people do that with Jesus when he's alive, and people do that with Jesus today, and one particular way is with this verse. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, the context of this passage, if you go back to chapter 13 in John, the Gospel of John, here's a little nugget of information if you're ever playing Bible trivia. The Gospel of John records the longest, uh, or has the longest recording of the upper room. The upper room is when Jesus spent his last night with his most intimate disciples and followers. Um, they did the Lord's Supper. He gave them some teachings. He said some very blunt, straightforward things, all because Jesus was preparing them for the days, weeks, months, and years ahead in which he was not physically going to be there. And so they were going to take up the mantle. They were going to be his representation on the earth of who Jesus was, what Christianity is, or what the way, that's what it originally was called, it was the way, what that was, and how to live a life according to this salvation we have in Christ. So on this last night, it's very intimate. It begins with Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and, and Peter, of course, oh, you can't wash my feet, Jesus. And, you know, Peter has to learn the hard way, like a lot of us do, right? That's why we need blunt people in our life, right? Amen? No amen. All right. Okay, so, so Jesus is with them, and he's having this intimate moment, and then he says some very straightforward things that, hey, look, guys, in this world, you're going to have trouble. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. I mean, this is not really the pep talk to take up Christianity, right? I mean, they're going to kill me. And if I'm the master and you're the servant, and you're not greater than the master, guess what they're going to want to do to you? And so Jesus is preparing them for this life that they're going to live in a life of persecution. In the midst of that, he's preparing them that you have to have conviction on who Jesus is and what he came to do. Now, conviction, we all have convictions, okay? And they're all based upon truths that we all hold in life. Now, in all of our lives, we have this common denominator, and here's what it is. There is relative truth, 
and there's absolute truth. Okay, relative truth is a truth that is true for you, but may not be true for me. For example, you may think peanut butter is the greatest gift on God's good earth. And you can take a jar of peanut butter with your fingers and you just go to town and that is just like, hurrah, hurrah. Anybody that, you know, spoon, whatever, yeah. Well, God bless you. And so you're like, oh, peanut butter is awesome. That's a truth for you. For me, I can't stand the stuff. It's weird. I like peanuts. I like peanut M&Ms. I hate peanut butter M&Ms. I, I like... Uh, I like Ritz crackers with cheese in it, but if you stick peanut butter in that cracker, I'm going to be very upset with you. And I get really upset. So just head, this is my bluntness right here. If you make cookies that look like sugar cookies but are peanut butter cookies, I will probably hurt your feelings by spitting it out. It, it will happen. I, it, I'm not allergic to it. I, 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 I can stand to be around it. I'm not going to like die if I come in the presence of peanut butter. I just can't stand to have it in my mouth. I, my brother has tried to break it into me ever since I was a child, and he still tries to slide stuff my way every now and then, and some ladies think it's funny when they bring stuff to fellowship and say, oh, yeah, there's no peanut butter in it just to see what happens. Don't do that. Come on, let's love one another, right? But for some of y'all, peanut butter's the thing, right? It's the thing, man. It is the truth. You just, you could, and so... If I got to a point where there's nothing on this earth to eat but peanut butter, if that was some sort of hellish dystopia that happened to us all, I would break down and eat it. But until then, I'm not going to. An absolute truth is a truth that is true for everyone in all places at all times, no matter the situation. It is absolute. The problem we all have, we all do, myself included, is we can have convictions on relative truths more than we have convictions on absolute truths. Now, when Jesus says that I am the truth, he's saying I am the absolute truth. I am the truth for people in all times, in all places, everywhere. No matter where you come from, your background, it doesn't matter. I am the truth, the one truth. We can have Jesus as a relative truth, or that's what Jesus is becoming today. And that, well, yeah, Jesus may be, he may work for you, but he doesn't work for me. That may be what you believe, but that's not what I believe. And I've heard this in, in the church with, from brothers and sisters in Christ who are saved, but they will say this to me. And maybe you've heard it. That may be how you read it. That's not how I read it. When we do that, we say that this has relative truth. That it was true for people in Jesus' day, but it's not true for me now. But Jesus comes out and says, this is absolute. I am the truth. And unless we believe that Jesus is the truth, then we're definitely not going to have a conviction that Jesus is the way and that he can give us abundant life. And so we will chase after anything and everything that we think will give us that. When Jesus is saying, I am it. I'm all you need. When you're going through hard times, guess what? I am the truth that will get you through those hard times. When you're dealing with temptation, when you're struggling in this life that you're living, I am the truth. I have the answers that you need. A lot of people, they don't, they don't see that. 
Yeah, Jesus is truth at church, but Monday through Saturday, that's relative. And the dangers of us having relative conviction truths is that we can become closed-minded. And let me just show you how you all have relative truths that you're very convicted about. If I say Chiefs or Broncos, there you go. There you go. Okay, see? There you go. I need you to be faithful, buddy. All right, so, but we, in that realm, some of us, Cardinals or Royals? Cardinals or Cubs? Uh, vanilla ice cream or chocolate? Okay. And we, we preach our relative truths all the time. That is the best movie I ever saw. You ever, you ever said that? This is the best book I've ever read. You've got to read this. Oh, this is the greatest song ever. You've got to listen to this song. We, we preach relative truths with convictions, and when people contradict these relative truths that we have as convictions, what typically happens? Conflict, right? problem a lot of people have is that we are so passionate about our relative truths and we're not as passionate about the absolute truth. We get more passionate about Chiefs or Broncos, Cubs, Cardinals, Royals, types of ice cream, types of restaurant, and we preach those convictions more than we preach the truth. And if Jesus is the truth for everybody in every situation at all times, then that's what we need to preach. I'm not saying you can't have passions. I have passions, right? To a flaw at times. I have passions. But people need to hear the truth. Not a relative, but an absolute. And until this world starts seeing Christians, people of God having these convictions that Jesus is an absolute truth, they're going to brush him off as a relative. And so the problem we have when it comes to truth is one group, if Jesus is a relative truth, one group can say, well, you know, that truth works for you, but that doesn't work for me. And so what do they do? They hold to another truth. And what we've seen in the world and in the news today is when two people have contradicting truths, what does that tell us? Something's not true, right? You can't have two contradicting truths. That means something's relative and something's not relative, or something's relative and something's absolute. You, you can't have it. For example, two plus two is... You sure it's not five? And if you argued that it was five, well, how would you come across? Crazy, right? Okay, here's some relative truths for you, or some absolute truths that you can hold to. One, Jesus, where I mentioned that one. Another absolute truth is that you are in Stratford, Missouri right now, which is located at 37.2684 degrees north by 93.117 degrees west. That's absolute. You are breathing oxygen at this very moment. Correct? The earth is round. It's mostly made of water. Two plus two is four. These are absolute truths. These are things that if people contradicted them, we would get pretty irate about. But funny how we allow other people to live in relative truths or things that are not true for all people, and we don't even shrug the shoulders. See, if people don't come to an understanding that Jesus is the truth, Jesus flat out tells you you're going to hell. That's pretty blunt, right? 
Now, if you take that message to the streets, how do people respond? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're a jerk. But see, what Jesus did is he came and he revealed how he was the way, the truth, and the life by the way he lived his life and the way he interacted with people. Jesus did not shy away from telling people that he was the only way to the Father, that he was the only way to eternal life. He didn't shy away from it. But at the same time, he loved people where they were and who God made them to be, and he took them to where they needed to be. And that's the truth of Jesus, is he is called to change us. But our world right now sees Jesus not as the truth, but as that works for Christians, not necessarily for me. And until we as Christians have convictions about Jesus being the truth, we can't expect the world to change their mind. Now, Jesus said some pretty crazy things. He said, as we talked about, that he and God are one. He, he, he said that, you know, you're going to have to drink of his blood and eat of his body, which pushed a lot of people away. Um, you're going to have to take up your cross, which was a sign of death in Jesus' day. That pushed some people away. So how do we know Jesus is who he said he was? Well, it starts with this foundation. We have to believe that this is the word of God. The Bible says this is God-breathed. It came by, not by man's interpretation, but by the Holy Spirit who guided, who directed it. And if we don't have a conviction upon that, then we really shouldn't have a conviction on who Jesus said he is. And we really shouldn't be sure of our salvation. If we don't believe that every word in this is from the mouth of God and is for our benefit and our good, even the things we don't like, let me just confess right now, there are things in here that are hard to read and are hard to live out. Okay? If you can read this and... and Without flinching, wow, man, you are a saint of all saints. But there's stuff in here that's hard. But that doesn't mean just because I think it's hard or I don't like to hear it, that doesn't mean I can just put it on the shelf and not deal with it. Because if it is truth, then that means it has to be applied to all my life. It's two plus two equals four. It's truth for every aspect of my life. And so how do we know that Jesus is the truth? I mean, you can, because anybody can say it, right? Go Chiefs, right? Mm. Anybody can say anything, but how do we know Jesus is the truth? It begins by understanding, okay, you cannot deny the fact that Jesus was a historical figure. You can't deny this. Uh, Lee Strobel writes in his book, The Case for Christ, that there's more historical evidence to prove that Jesus, a man named Jesus, lived in the area which the Bible presents. He, he taught. He had a following. He did some incredible things, which we call miracles. There's more historical data to prove that than there is to prove that we had a 16th president named Abraham Lincoln. Okay? So you cannot deny that Jesus was a physical human being who had a massive following, who taught about God and did some incredible things. You know, history proves that. Stuff outside of the Bible proved that. Where it comes to faith is we have to believe, is what Jesus said, is it true or was he just a good guy? Was he just a good teacher? Was he just a good philosopher? Was he just a good social individual? And that's where faith comes in. Because if I can rub Jesus off of just being a good teacher, a good uh, philosopher, a good prophet, and things like that, but he's not Christ, then I don't have to do anything he says. But if he is the Christ, then that calls me to allegiance in everything he said and everything he called me to. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote it like this in his book, Mere Christianity. 
He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him speaking of Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. And this is where Jesus rubbed people the wrong way. He said he and God are one, that they are equal. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. But you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher because he has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. So here's the question this morning. Whether we've confessed in Christ as our Lord and Savior or not, or whether we're skeptical, is we have to come to a place where we make a decision. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It allows you to have free will in this moment. I have to decide, is Jesus who he said he was and is as presented by the word of God, or is he not? Is he absolute or is he relative? And if he's absolute truth, then it calls me to change everything about my life. If he's relative... That's how you read it. That's not how I read it. That may work for you, but that doesn't work for me. But if he's absolute, then he wants to be the absolute Lord and Savior of my entire being. That doesn't mean you're always going to do it right. Lord knows I don't. But it does call me to a different sort of living. And this is what Jesus being the truth is. Um, I grew up in church. I've shared that before. And uh, my dad's a pastor. Some of y'all know that. He, he's still pastoring even though he's retired. <coughs> um, every Sunday we were at church. I've shared that. My mom was the choir leader. My dad was the pastor. And every Sunday um, I went. And at the age of six years old, we had a revival. We were living in a small northern Missouri town of Milan, Missouri. Anybody ever heard of Milan, Missouri? Okay, one, two. All right, yeah, way to go, Milan. Pirates. Um, anyway, we were there. My dad, it was kind of my dad's first pastorate. And he, he was at this little church, and, and they had a revival and it was all week long. Now, I grew up hearing about the stories of Jesus. My parents read me the Bible growing up. We sang songs. I was in children's choir. Um, I did RAs. Anybody remember RAs? Yeah, woo, good. Uh, so I did all that stuff, and about the age of six, uh, we had a revival, and my dad invited one of his friends to come and preach, and I remember he was up uh, giving uh, an evangelistic message, a message about the gospel. And I've heard about Jesus. I've heard about the cross. I knew about Easter. I knew it wasn't about a bunny. I knew that particularly because um, it was that same year where our Tomcat brought a dead bunny to our doorstep on Easter morning. God bless that cat. Um, you talk about breaking a kid's heart on Easter morning. But <clears throat> I knew that it was more than just about a bunny. It was about what Jesus did. Um, and I understood sin, I understood, uh, you know, heaven and hell and all that stuff. Um, but for some reason on that night, even though I'd heard my dad preach for six years or so, um, some reason on that night when this guy presented the gospel, reality hit me. And he talked about E.T., um, you know, phone, home, E.T., right? Okay, <clears throat> now as a child, if you were a child when E.T. came out, go ahead and confess right now. All right, 
There's a scene in the movie where Elliot is heading out to the shack because the light, some reason there's a light coming out of the shack and there's fog. Y'all remember this scene? And, and so Elliot throws the ball into the shack and what happens? The ball comes out. Now, confession time again. Does anybody remember being completely scared at that moment in time as a child? And Elliot went in and then he brought whatever's in the shack in with the grossest pieces of candy ever, right? Um, okay, so in that moment, I was scared to death. That was the scariest thing I'd ever seen in movies. It was so intense. It was so intimate. I was thinking, whoa, I would never go out to a shed that had light and smoke coming out of it and things throwing balls back. I would, just would not do that. I was scared to death as a child. But as I sat there in the pew on the revival night and this man started talking about the reality of hell and how Jesus spoke about hell. It wasn't just a thing he met up to, to give people bad dreams or try to scare them into hell. Jesus talked about hell because it was a reality. He understood that Satan and his demons were going to be thrown into hell forever. They were going to be cast there. And those who do not confess him as Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they were going to join them. And when this man stood up there on the table at the age of six and said, if you have not confessed Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, the reality is, according to the word of God, is that you are heading to hell. And that's the truth. But the reality is God loves you and he doesn't want that for you. And something in that moment clicked. E.T. didn't have anything close to the reality of hell. Talk about fire that, doesn't, that burns but doesn't consume. Maggots that eat the flesh but you're just continually being in the weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's never ending. when that happened, I came to reality who Jesus was, what he did for me, and that I didn't want to go to hell, and that Jesus paid the price for my sins so I didn't have to. Six years old. Fast forward about 10 years. Nick, how old are you? 15. About Nick's age. Nick's a lot cooler than me, so that that helps you, Nick. Um, We moved to Illinois, Macomb, Illinois, and growing up, I was uh, what I call a ball full of joy. About that big and about that tall, okay? Ball full of joy. Um, and so I got picked on a lot. You know, uh, you know, man, you're, you're the chubby. I actually had this true story. I'm, I'm sitting on a stage like this. getting ready to do uh, our seventh grade band Christmas concert, you know? Joy to the world. I'm sitting there talking to one of my friends. A girl comes up to me, taps me on the shoulder. And at first, it's a girl talking to me. And so, you know, whoo <laughs> But she goes, you know, you'd be really cute if you lost some weight. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the yaws. But that, that really, what do you say to that? I wasn't quite blunt at that point in time. If I was there now, I'd be like, yeah, you too, you know, type of thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I mean, it just crushed me because I had been picked on with my weight. And so we get, I get to the age, uh, eighth grade, and I'm introduced uh, to full pad football. And if you were a kid getting picked on growing up because of your size, when they put you in pads and say, hit that person as hard as you want and it's legal, 
man, praise the Lord Almighty, because I found my calling was to bring pain in the life of football. Uh, they nicknamed, nicknamed me the Big Hurt, and I loved it because partly they couldn't pronounce my last name and it was just easier, but I could hit. I had so much pent-up anger in me that when someone carried the ball or got my way, I could just knock them flat, and I loved it. And so I got good at it. And about the age of uh, sophomore year, my friend started driving. Uh, about Nick's age. And I couldn't drive, but my friends were going to places. And I remember Friday nights. Man, Friday nights when there wasn't football games, they'd be going to these parties. And I always hear on Monday, oh, Hurt, you should have been there. Mike, you should have been there. It was the party of the year. Party of the year. It's like the first week of school, but it's the party of the year. Oh, man, it was awesome. You should have been there. So-and-so did this. It was hilarious. It was incredible. And I was thinking, man, I really want to go because I want to be accepted. You know, I had that desire to want to be with people. But at the same time, I knew I shouldn't be in that environment because I knew they were drinking and doing things that I shouldn't be doing. But, you know, so there's this battle. Acceptance or do what I know I shouldn't do. And so I got invited. And, and I, I started out... You know, I'm just going to go to be, like, social, just to be in that environment because I want people to like me because that my background was that I got picked on a lot, so I wanted to, you know, I, I literally was one of those kids that prayed for friends. So to get invited to a party, like, oh, right. So I, I rode with my friend, and I had to tell my parents we're going to spend the night at such and such house because I couldn't get home because I knew <laughs> they weren't going to be able to drive. So I get in that situation, and someone asked me if I want a beer. 15 years old, and at first I said no, but everyone else had one, so I thought, well, I'll just hold one. It's not a big deal. I'll just hold one. But then when people come up and they, cheers. I don't know why it's in us, but the natural response when someone clicks your can, man, well, my mom used to tell me beer, the reason they have horses in beer commercials is because that's where they get the beer from the horse urine. <laughs> Made a lot of sense growing up, <laughs> but it wasn't absolute truth. <laughs> so that's the problem when we have wrong convictions that aren't actually true. And so I, I had a sip, and the sip turned to a drink, and a drink turned into a can, and a can turned into another can, into another can, to another can, into another can, until by the time I was 18, I would say I was a full-fledged alcoholic. Me and a buddy of mine who played football, we could put down a case of beer on our own, walk away fine. No problem. That was my life. Beer led to marijuana, which led to mushrooms, which led to parties, which led to womanizing, which led to relationships I should not have been in. Um, one particular relationship definitely never should have happened. Led to a lot of mistakes. The reason that happened is because Jesus was still a relative truth. I understood it. I comprehended it. I knew why he died on the cross. I knew why he rose again so I could be forgiven. But I, I, didn't have not, I had no convictions about it. I was convicted football is the coolest thing ever. I was convicted you should be in the weight room lifting and running and working out. And when you hit, you should, they should know you hit them. I was convicted on those things, but when it came to my faith, my relationship with God, the way I knew I wasn't convicted about it is because it had no impact in how I was living my life Monday through Saturday. 
So I graduated high school. Um, I planned to go to William Jewell College. I got a scholarship to go play football, and uh, that didn't kind of pan out because I knew I needed to change. But when I got there, they had a new coach and wasn't what I was recruited on, and so I left. And uh, I went back home, which was not good when all your buddies, your drinking buddies are home, and you're in college now. Because you think you have parties in high school. Yeah. And so I got further and further into that lifestyle. And one particular night, I'm 19 years old, um, or I'm 18, going to be 19 that summer. Um, I drank and smoked so much stuff that I ended up in a corner in the fetal position. My friends told me I had stopped breathing for about five minutes. Uh, when I asked them the next couple days, why didn't they call anybody? Um, why didn't they get anybody for help? The response is because they were all underage and they would have gotten in trouble. That was kind of a reality hit. Because I had built this foundation on fun and popularity. That had become my God. Friends had become my God. Acceptance had become my God. And so that was a reality, and I began to ask myself, who am I really, and what do I actually believe in? I wish I could say I uh, learned a lesson, but <laughs> I'm a guy. Women, you can understand, us guys are kind of hard-headed at times. And so that was my friends. That was my social group, and so I was still involved with that. Um, 20 years of age, it was about this time of year. I was 20 years old. It's going to be 21 that summer. I'm sorry, 19, going to be 20 that summer. And um, we have a, <laughs> a party at my friend's father's garage because he had a pool table, and we weren't allowed into the bars at that point in time unless you had a fake ID. Um, the cops showed up. We're all underage except for one individual. And so since we're all over the age of 18 but under the age of 21, we all get the joy of being in police beat. My dad's been a, a pastor in this community for eight years. People know me as the pastor's kid. And when that reality hit that my name is going to be in the paper on Sunday morning as being arrested for underage drinking, I hit flea mode. I didn't want to deal with that reality. Luckily, I had a friend, his mom talked me into going home. And this conversation changed my life. I went home and woke up dad to tell him all the things that just conspired that night. Um, moms, of course, you go to wake up dad, and what do moms do? What's wrong? Oh, what? Oh, oh. And so mom comes down. I didn't want to deal with mom yet. I wanted to deal with dad, because mom already told me she brought me in, she'll take me out. And so I didn't want to deal with that yet. So I sit down in our living room in Macomb, Illinois. My dad's on the couch, and I, I don't just confess to getting caught drinking. I confess to everything I've been involved in. My dad looks me in the eye about 3 o'clock in the morning, and he says, Michael, we love you. And in this house, we will not talk about this unless you bring it up. We forgive you. I thought 3 a.m., <laughs> he's going to nail me come 7 a.m. when I'm like just tired, headache, and don't want to deal with it. But that was reality. My parents did not bring it up, even though I had to do, uh, what's that called, uh, social work? Uh, community service, that's what it is. I only had to do it once. That was enough. 
kind of like a whipping, right? They weren't big ones. Um, I do community service. My parents never asked about it. My parents never brought it up. My parents, um, unless I brought it up, unless I talked about it. And that hit reality. What my dad said is what my heavenly father has been saying to me this entire time. Because I knew I shouldn't be doing it. I would do it behind closed doors. I'd make sure no one's around, that I didn't want to get the word out. I would make sure that when I carried alcohol to the car, if it was on a public street, I would do it quickly. Um, I, I knew I should not be. I was trying to keep it in the dark. But the reality of my dad said, my dad said, we love you, we forgive you, and we will not talk about this. That's how much God loves me. I don't have to prove myself to God. I don't have to say, look what I can do, or look what I can drink, or how much I can lift, or how hard. I don't have to do any of that to God. God already says, I love you. When you accept my son, I forgive you. And I don't talk about your messes unless you bring it up. That summer, I, I went to Glorietta, New Mexico, went to a college retreat, and Louis Giglio. You ever heard of Louis Giglio? Really cool guy. Um, passion. Have you ever heard of Passion? Um, college ministry. Louis Giglio was the minister that summer. 1999, July of 1999, we're in Gloria, New Mexico. I think I shared a little bit about that. And Louis Giglio hit this. He said, look, people are, are worried about Y2K. Remember Y2K? It was like, you know, snow, ice storm. That was this last weekend, you know. We got so worried, nothing happened. We said, here's what we're going to Everybody's going to say the world's going to end at Y2K. 2000, the world's going to end. It's going to strike 1201, and everybody's going to poof, you know, it's going to be done. That was reality, wasn't it, though? And, and he said, here's what's going to happen. It's not going to be January 1st, but it's going to be like February 3rd. Like March 16th. It's going to be a day that you are doing what you've always done when you're not at your very best. It's going to be in that moment and he's going to return. How have you been living your life? Have you been living your life to glorify him or to glorify yourself? Who is your God that you serve? And that's when Jesus became absolute. Because I had been serving myself in the flesh and the sinful nature and now my Lord and Savior. And even though I was a big guy, man, God had me on my knees crying like a little baby. Called my dad up that night. I, I've, I've repented. I've, I've returned. Um, I've confessed. I'm, I'm for Jesus now. It's, and since then, it's just been an incredible ride. I could give you facts. I could give you statistics. I could give you all this cool stuff that I think is cool. But the reality is the reason I believe Jesus is absolute truth is because he changed me. He changed me. Not only changed my eternal destination, but he's changed me today. And he's continuing to change me every single day. I don't always do it right. I do stupid stuff sometimes but I know that he is God. I know that he loves me. And I know people out there need to know it too because they're living their life like I was. Ah, oh, it's the party of the year. You know what happens on Monday? You start talking about the next weekend. It's going to be the party of the year. It's just over and over and over and over again. 
when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what I want to give you. That's what God created you for. Have you accepted that? Are you living that way? Maybe you're here this morning and it's finally hit. Man, I just don't want to go to hell. I don't, I don't understand all of that, but I understand that. I do not want to go to hell. And I know that Jesus paid so I don't have to. And I want to get that right today. I'm going to stand down here. The Bible says we admit we're a sinner. I think we all admit we mess up. But we believe Jesus died for our sins and rose and we can be forgiven. And we confess him the Lord and Savior of our life. The Bible says we're saved. It's that simple. Maybe you're here and you've kind of been playing the church or Christian game and God's calling you out in this moment. How am I going to get real? And you just need to come and kneel before the Father. Don't worry about what people think. Who cares? It's between you and God, right? However God has spoken in your heart, I'm going to invite Jackson to come on up and lead us in a song. I'm going to invite you to come and respond. I'd love to pray with you. If you want to bring someone with you to pray with you, awesome. God bless you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for saving a wretch like me. Thank you for your mercy and your grace that you continue to give me every single day. I don't deserve it. Thank you for calling me to this ministry. Father, we want to be a people who Glorify you as the truth that this world needs to know and to hear. So give us a passion and conviction for you like we have for other things in our life. And Lord, thank you for the passions and the things that we enjoy. But Lord, help us to put you on your rightful throne in our heart. Father, if anyone here this morning doesn't know you, I ask you to just give them the courage to just draw them so strongly that they can't sit still. Father, if someone here just needs to repent and return back to you because they've, they've gotten off. Lord, I thank you that you are a good shepherd and you call us back, that you know us by name. And right now you're crying out to hearts by name to come to you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, it is complete. Past, present, and future, you wipe it all away. I say, we're not going to bring it up. Thank you for loving us that much. And I thank you for this day. Father, lead us to the place where we need to be in this moment as we come to this time of invitation. And praise on your son's name. Amen. Stand as we sing.